Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. Let's get started. My guest today is Dr. Gerald Winslow, professor of religion at Loma Linda University and uh, director for the Center for Christian Bioethics. Uh, welcome, Dr. Winslow. Well, thank you, Professor Bell, and thank you for this invitation. I look forward to our, our visit. Now, our focus today is Christian ethics. <laughs> let's, let's first uh, ask if you could, uh, Dr. Winslow, simply define the field of ethics and help us see what the issues are on that level with just a, a broad definition in moral decision-making from a Christian perspective. Sure. Uh, I think that starting with the word ethics is probably a good idea because there are many different ways to define that word. I don't think it needs to be particularly complicated People who are thinking about ethics are trying to answer a basic set of questions. What does it mean to live a good life as a virtuous person in a just society or a good society? Uh, those are the broad questions of ethics. How to be a good person in a good society? Of course, from a Christian point of view, we have a distinctive set of reasons for being a virtuous person and a distinctive set of instructions for how to be that kind of person. So. Christian ethics is really a matter of taking the model of Jesus and faith in Jesus and making it practical in answering those questions about a virtuous person in a good society. What are the challenges to ethical decision-making that a Christian in a pluralistic society uh, faces? Uh, how, do you, how does a Christian go about trying to sort through those things? And Gerald, before, before you respond, um, I'm going to uh, also, after that, ask you what that might mean for a more conservative um, Christian body. Most of our listeners... Uh, to recalculating are part of the Adventist faith community, a very conservative Christian community. But of course, there are listeners who are not part of that journey. And all of us wonder about that challenge to ethical decision-making in a pluralistic society. Gerald? Sure. Well, let's start with a pluralistic society. I don't know how people think of that term. Um, I think I've probably been fortunate in my life, even blessed, that I've lived in many different cultures and different nations um, for extended periods of time. But, of course, my home culture is here in the United States of America. And that is a pluralistic society by which we mean people are free to live by many different faith convictions or no particular faith at all, except perhaps faith in money or politics or, or fame. Um, or, or whatever religion they may choose. So I think that's what we mean by pluralistic. One of the main challenges when you live in a pluralistic society and you want to think together about ethics is the challenge of relativism. It's, it's the notion that moral decisions, moral convictions are merely a matter of taste, cultural taste or personal taste. And um, so it's, it's whatever is right is what's right in one person's eyes. And or one culture's view, and uh, that varies, of course, from time to time and place to place. Uh, that whole kind of relativism really cuts the nerve of ethics and, uh, I think, makes us 
have a kind of ethical paralysis. So one of the challenges in a pluralistic society is to take the rich convictions of our own faith tradition, in my case, Adventist Christian, um, and to take those and make those accessible in a way that's understandable to other people in a pluralistic society who may live by very different lights. So it's a process of uh, how we communicate and relate to a pluralistic society as a conservative body. Um, as, as Adventists, we have a tradition of conservatism. We look at social issues through our context. Uh, and I'm tending to wonder what the social responsibility is of a church that might serve as a prophetic minority, as opposed to retreating from society and the issues you speak of. How, how do we think of social responsibility as one in our society? Sure, I, I really appreciate that question because it makes us think about what we mean by certain words such as conservative. I think the Adventist faith I know best, uh, the one I grew up in and the one that I espouse and teach is, is conservative in the sense that we have a strong sense of creation and being part of God's creation. That's why we observe Sabbath every week, for example, just as a reminder of the gift of uh, creation, the many gifts of creation. Uh, and that is conservative in that we're conserving some very important values. On the other hand, historically, Adventists have not been conservative when it comes to every social issue that comes along. Early Adventist pioneers, I think to a person, were for the abolition of slavery. And some of our key leaders early on led what were called stations on the Underground Railway to help fugitive slaves escape. Um, one of the great founders of visionary Ellen White uh, in Adventism even said that the fugitive slave law, which required people to return slaves to their masters, uh, was a law that uh, Adventist Christians should not obey. Well, that was not very conservative in its day. <laughs> The conservative mm -hmm. position then was uh, to conserve slavery, and uh, unfortunately, uh, our nation had to fight a terrible civil war over that issue. But Adventists would hardly have been cons called conservative at that time. I think that our stand for religious liberty uh, over the years has been another example. And we've taken that stand not just for ourselves when it came to protecting our right to observe the Seventh-day Sabbath, for example. But we have gone to court and we've advocated and we published mag a magazine called Liberty to advocate for the religious liberty of other groups, especially minority groups that might be discriminated against. So if by conservative we mean that we're preserving certain core values uh, that are important to human beings and given to us by God, yes, of course, that's a good word to use. It's a, an especially good word when it comes to conserving uh, and being good stewards of the, of the environment. Uh, a conservationist approach to protecting the planet is, is a wonderful thing that I think Adventists should be heavily involved in and, and committed to. Um, is that conservative today? Um, of course, that word gets used in many different ways. I, I hope it is a matter of uh, seeing what we preserve or conserve uh, from the values that God has given us. Uh, that's interesting. Um, that's helping us uh, 
find a sense of uh, participation in progress, maybe in issues uh, such as um, uh, health, health style, healthy living, uh, that can be seen as very progressive. Uh, a sense of the well-being and wellness of our, um, our physical life. That's, that's a progressive stance. I suppose our early Adventists in their interest in uh, temperance uh, were viewed as progressive, maybe in, in terms of uh, voting and, and certainly uh, the participation among our leadership group of a woman as primary as Ellen White and other female voices, that was progressive. So, yeah, that is interesting. That helps us that way. And I think we can, I, I think we're still growing. I hope we are in our faith and in our maturity. Take health care and, and healthful living. I think that uh, we have, uh, as a community of faith, really tried to help people understand what a more healthful life would be and, and how to live that life in very practical ways. More recently, we've begun to realize that you can't live a, a, an a healthy life as an individual if you're in a very corrosive environment, if the environment is, is corroded by um, all sorts of pollution, or if the means by which one could live a healthy life are not available, access, for example, to healthy food. So healthcare today, including Adventist healthcare, is really beginning to address those social factors, those community factors that prevent people from having good health. And that's, that's another step in maturing uh, our understanding of what, and it is a progressive step, of understanding what it would mean to help all of us live healthy lives in healthy communities. Uh, uh, stewardship of creation and uh, public health go hand in hand. And one of our core values as Adventists then would be linked to the stewardship of creation, care about environmental issues, etc. And that uh, joins us with uh, very progressive values in terms of uh, caring about moving forward with uh, what makes for healthy living. That's helpful. I, I want to ask you, uh, Dr. Winslow, if you see the Adventist church, now this can be a sensitive subject, I know, but it'll be helpful to us to reflect for a moment, acting ethically when engaging with communities in um, some matters like gender equality or cultural diversity or justice or immigration. Do you see us acting ethically when we engage with community in those ways? Well, um, of course, I would love to say the answer to that is an unqualified yes. Uh, my, my observation is that it's yes, but not without qualification. Uh, let me explain. Um, my main lens for thinking about how my faith community relates to these questions of the sort you just raised, gender equality, uh, relating to people who are different in a variety of ways, uh, supporting racial justice, 
Uh, my lens on that comes from healthcare because I spent um, a long time as an executive in an Adventist health system here in Loma Linda. But also my other lens is higher education. I've completed well over 50 years as a professor in Adventist higher education. And um, so those two ways, or in our case at Loma Linda, since we take as our mission, continuing the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus, um, that's what we tell ourselves every day, that's what we're about. Uh, so I really, that's one lens for me, and that's education in a healthcare setting. Uh, why do I mention that? Because in, in that setting, we teach ourselves every day not to be judgmental about the, the, the problems that brought people to us for help. Whatever, however they come to us, they're going to receive, on our best days at least, and I hope this is every day, they're going to receive care that we believe represents Jesus personally. Uh, we think that when we meet the person who's poor and homeless, the alcoholic or drug addict, the, the unwed mother, the alien without documents. When we meet those people, we, are meeting, we have an opportunity to serve Jesus personally. And that's, when, when you think of it in those terms, then I think that we, we can uh, be representative of a richer sense of what it means to be fair and respectful of all human beings. Do we achieve that every day? Let me just pick one example, that because you mentioned uh, gender equality. Um, I'm pleased to work at a place where, for many years, my boss, my uh, our CEO, was a woman from Australia, and I hope she's listening to this podcast. Her name is Dr. B. Lynn Behrens. Dr. Behrens was a pediatrician, and as a rather young person, was chosen to first to lead our medical school, and then to lead our university, and finally to lead our university and our entire health system, a multi-billion dollar organization that Dr. Behrens led as our CEO, one of the best visionary leaders I've ever worked with. No one, so far as I know, ever suggested that the fact that Dr. Behrens was a woman would make her any less qualified to do that work. Uh, in fact, I think anyone who worked with Dr. Behrens knew that she was chosen really by the Creator, by our, our own Lord and Savior, to for that work uh, through the guidance of the Spirit. And it was a great privilege to work with her. So uh, where I work, the notion of, um, the, the, of having gender equality, having racial equality, uh, those are not really negotiable in the setting of healthcare, because people who come to us come to us with a great diversity. And I'm grateful to God that we've been able to have uh, leaders uh, who could exemplify that kind of commitment. Uh, that's a uh, an excellent example of um, members of the faith body in that context and that institutional expression affirming uh, a person without regard to uh, gender issues. I I would wish that that sense of uh, God's calling and uh, his uh, will, regardless of uh, the particular vocational expression, whether it be in business, whether it be in healthcare, whether it be in 
uh, clergy pastoral work, regardless of expression, uh, that that affirmation would be present. I, I uh, talk to so many and confess myself to some frustration with a distance between our Christian values and our actual practice when it comes to an issue like gender equality, where we often find ourselves following a, what I would call a more worldly cultural expression of, of discrimination on the basis of gender. It, it's, it's almost difficult to find in our world places where some gender discrimination does not exist. And we as a church often follow along and simply reflect the culture as though the culture were more important than our Christian values. Um, I guess I'm sermonizing a bit. Let, no, let, that's, let a, that's, a, that's a good sermon. I'm just sitting here thinking, I, I want to say amen to that, Professor Bell. I, I agree with you completely on that. And I think that I think every day is a new opportunity to deepen our understanding of what it means to respect everyone as one of God's children and to realize that given the gospel and given the equality that we experience through through creation and also th through salvation in, in Jesus, that there are no lesser persons. Um, the other, just as a practical matter, I must say, uh, we are not so blessed with great talent that we can give up on half of it or more than half. In the church, it would be more than half of all the talent we would have for creativity and leadership uh, if we couldn't have uh, gender equality. We, are, uh, we would impoverish ourselves. So I would say just as a practical matter, let's not do that. And you, you mentioned uh, racism. It, again, is difficult to find places on our globe where there is some not uh, where there isn't some form of discrimination on the basis of one's racial background or history it takes on various forms at, in various places um, on our globe and nationalism follows in that train uh, we're really struggling today with the um, issues uh, around immigration. Do you, as, as a Christian, an Adventist Christian, a person spending their life with theological ethics guiding how you contribute to the church, to institutions in that process, do you have some word for us regarding uh, this issue of immigration? Well, uh, I have been puzzled over the um, how divisive this issue has been in the culture I know best. Uh, it's peculiarly strange here where so many of us have no trouble identifying uh, which date on which boat uh, our people arrived. I can certainly do that. My German immigrant grandparents with my mother in utero arrived on these shores in April of 1914. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just in time to avoid World War One, I, I must say. Yes. And they yeah. were desperate to get to a, a better place, um, and and start a new life with better prospects. So most of us 
know those stories about our own heritage. And um, I would hope that would make us a little more welcoming. Scripture is pretty clear about how to treat sojourners and aliens. Um, and anyone who will pick up the, the Pentateuch, for example, read, read Deuteronomy on aliens, just get your, get your um, uh, concordance out, or nowadays you can easily search online, and uh, look up stranger and alien and fi find out what God says about how to treat people who, I suppose, in their day were undocumented. Um, I do see that in the healthcare setting, which is where I work, um, we, we don't ask people when they come in having been injured in an automobile accident or with a dangerous illness, we don't ask them for uh, where they came from. We take care of their needs. And, and I think in doing that, we are really reflecting the love of Jesus. Uh, yeah. we, I, I, I'll, I'll give you one very specific example ever so quickly. One of my neurologist friends was caring for a person badly injured in a car accident. And he said to me, you know, after we were caring for him for a while, we realized that all of the, all of the information we had in his chart was not actually accurate, that he had was carrying a different driver's license and, and so forth. He was not documented. And, and then the neurologist said to, you, to me, do you think I changed a single thing about the way I cared for him when I realized that he, um, he, he was a, an undocumented immigrant? <laughs> now, what answer, what answer do you think he would give to that? Of course, he's going to give the best care that he can possibly right. give because that's a human being. I, I realize I, this is not to trivialize the important questions uh, about, uh, about immigration. I, I don't want to just make it sound trivial. These are difficult issues. But I hope that we can help to foster a, a spirit of generosity and, uh, and a welcoming gracious spirit because as as the old testament text will remind us you were so generous yourself once so you you treat those others with that with that memory in mind thank you for the illustrations from healthcare and throughout the context of adventist faith of adventist life adventist service of um, Christian uh, bodies uh, across a, a wide spectrum of faith traditions. There are Christians who are acting in Christ-like ways with a, a biblically grounded uh, Christian ethic towards gender issues. They are expressing gender equality. They're welcoming diversity. They are identifying and purging out racism. They're, they're endeavoring to move in the direction of justice, and they're welcoming uh, the stranger. So sometimes our frustration could you know, outweigh the many positive ways people are uh, living in a Christ-like way. Sometimes there is a worry, Dr. Winslow, about um, issues becoming political issues. They're identified with a political tribe of some kind. And we end up aligning ourselves because of the influence of our political colleagues, if you will. Uh, can you comment on that tendency at all? 
Well, it's a very human tendency to choose up sides and um, and then demonize the other side. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's an American football game or whatever. Uh, we get out the colors and the cheerleaders and so forth. And that has happened to, to politics in our society. And it's not just in our society, but it's, it's happened uh, to a very disastrous degree over the last uh, many years. Uh, and, and seemingly increasingly so, so that almost any issue that comes along uh, seems to be given uh, a polarized political interpretation. I, I think that Christians have a solemn responsibility to avoid that. You know, that visionary leader we mentioned earlier, Ellen White, has one uh, interesting passage where she says we should bury political issues. Um, they have no place in the pulpit. They have no place in the, in the classroom. And I've taken that seriously as a professor. I, I think the message is that we as Christians are not to engage in partisan politics. There's, unfortunately, there are people even in my own faith community who just imagine, somehow believe that because of their faith commitments, they are automatically aligned with a particular political party. I find that to be uh, contrary to the gospel and certainly contrary to advice that we've been given. So, uh, yes, let's set aside all political issues. That didn't keep early Adventists from taking a strong stand on slavery, which was the most divisive political issue in American history, probably, uh, because it did lead to a serious civil war. Uh, it, it was a political issue in its day, but that's not why Adventists took a stand on it. They took a stand because it was a Christian moral issue. Nobody could own another person. And uh, if we can stick with the moral principles and get clear about those, then we will let the political chips fall wherever they do. Mm -hmm. uh, when I look at different political parties, it looks like each one of them can get some things right and a whole bunch of other things wrong. And I think that people who want to relate their faith strongly to a particular party, a political party, are going to be disappointed and going to be disappointed on a fairly regular basis. Mm -hmm. Now, are Christian, uh, precisely Adventist Christian social ethics, do, uh, as a scripture-centered faith body, do we have a social ethic relevant to rebuilding community social ethic today? Well, I, I think the answer to that is, in, is clearly yes. And uh, let me give you an example that, um, that hasn't come up in this conversation. You may know a, a former professor at Andrews University named William Johnson. He yes. was later editor of the Adventist Review, mm -hmm. our main church paper. And uh, he's retired here in the Loma Linda area, originally from Australia. A scientist originally, and then became a biblical theologian. Uh, but we have started a center at Loma Linda called the Center for Understanding World Religions. And it's the William Johnson Center for Understanding World Religions. Uh, why? Well, because we believe that the Adventist faith uh, has a, a rich opportunity to create better understanding in the world and to avoid some of the partisan issues that come up. Some of those are carried along through religious bigotry. What a great thing if we could create a healthier society by creating greater understanding of other people's religious convictions and to see where we can, uh, where there might be common ground. 
So I offer that as one example of social responsibility, because that was your question. But some of the most divisive issues in our society do relate to politics, to religion, to race, to gender. And all of those bear one thing in common, and that is dislike for the different other, a disregard for those who are different from us, or an attempt to put some group of people down and elevate ourselves. And I think that whenever we can create understanding that overcomes that by the grace of God and through the power of the gospel, we, we should do that. That is a social responsibility. It's not just personal goodness. Uh, yeah, that's helpful, uh, Gerald, again. Now, in what sense can we, uh, we being perhaps people not of Christian faith or people of Christian faith, and I'm thinking specifically now of those that are most around readily for me to join in community with, Adventist Christian Faith Body, how could we contribute to a social conversion? Well, the first thing that we have to do is to be engaged in, the, in work for the good of our communities. Uh, one of the tendencies of my faith community, Adventists, has been sometimes, in some places, a kind of isolationism. And I think that that's regrettable. Um, I could give specific examples of people being surprised when we show up at the city council or whatever to try to take a, a stand for the side of good and fairness and um, environmental stewardship and so forth. That may not be the place where we have normally been seen, but I I would encourage all people of faith, and certainly people in my community of faith, to be engaged, to, to have friends who are in the community, leading, leading the county health department, leading the mayor's office, leading whatever, uh, finding allies for uh, human good. I think engagement and building relationships of trust, that's really the answer. Well, you used the word engage uh, several times. So engagement looks like um, uh, being involved in civil service, either vocationally or on a, on a volunteer basis. And does it look like being a part of an organization like Rotary, etc.? I suppose it looks like um, finding ways to foster public conversation? Yes. Well, you know, there's so many examples. Let's take one right now. As we're having this conversation, our entire world is gripped by a miserable pandemic. It's, it's taking the lives of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, eventually. And I think that it, part of this pandemic that we're in has resulted in people not having enough food to eat. And while the Adventist faith community has been excellent, I think, at helping people to understand what good nutrition is and what bad nutrition is and to try to make a difference for, for the good, it doesn't matter if you don't have any nutrition at all. Uh, and so in every, in every community, there are organizations that are helping to feed people. And I think that in addition to our concern about people choosing a healthy lifestyle, we should probably find out where the local food pantry is if we don't run one out of our own church. Many, many churches do. Uh, but find out and make common cause with those people who are 
helping the, the most desperately needy, those who don't know where the next meal is coming from. And right now, because of our pandemic, there are many more of those people. Well, yeah, the uh, issue is engage, get involved. Don't, don't retreat and isolate ourselves with some sense of, uh, well, there, there are many things that lead us to isolate ourselves. Sometimes we just seem to think we aren't welcome uh, and we are welcome. And sometimes we think there's a danger or risk. Well, mission calls us to be among people. So that, that's very helpful, Gerald. I, I want to ask you if uh, you sense that we as Adventist Christians are ready to denounce, and, and I guess uh, the question should go to all people, whether faith or not, whatever our Christian expression might be if we are followers of Jesus, are, are we ready to denounce the way of domination, power, control, or even violence in favor of service? You mentioned service. That's the way of the cross. Are we ready to do that? Well, um, once again, I would love to say an unqualified yes in answer to that. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid that I've lived too long and I'm too familiar with human nature, including my own, to uh, make that an easy yes. I think it's pretty common for human beings to want to be in charge. Uh, to much, much of the human conflict, even in a, in a family setting, but and within a church setting, is that somebody um, has an idea about what other people should be doing, and they want to impose that on other people. Uh, it seems to me that a rereading of Scripture can help to deepen the understanding of what it means to be uh, followers of one who carried a cross and who died uh, a terrible death of crucifixion. Uh, take up the cross and follow Jesus, what does that mean? Well, one of the things it means is to give up the notion of domination and to realize that uh, the Lord Jesus is in charge. Um, not an easy thing to do. I'm not, and, and are we ready, you say, to do that? Um, on our best, most faithful days, I think the answer is yes. But I think that we should be honest enough to realize that whether it's a matter of personal power over other people, or whether it's a matter of the dominance of one group of people over other people. Both of those are very human tendencies. To go back to something that you talked about earlier, you asked about and, and we discussed, um, gender equality. Yes, if we were going to have genuine gender equality, then some people would probably have to relinquish some of that treasured authority. They might have to share it more widely. And in the process, they might discover there are many blessings in that. But people don't easily relinquish the, the power that they have. Uh, it, there are all sorts of probably psychological reasons. I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I won't go into those. I'll let other people uh, surmise on that. But um, I, I think from a spiritual point of view, it all comes down to a realization that the, the creator is in charge, and we are the servants. And uh, all of those isms, all of the bigotries like racism, nationalism, sexism, ageism, we didn't talk about, 
even speciesism, as some people call it, and not caring for the other uh, non-human members of our society. Mm-hmm. All of those isms that represent bigotry are a, a matter of being, in my view, atheist, because to deny, for example, the, the fact that all human beings are our brothers and sisters is to deny that God is the creator. And so if you look at each of those isms where it puts our group or ourself or our color or our gender or whatever over the others, I think those represent a denial of the, of the power and authority of God. And they are all idolatrous in that regard. The way of Christ uh, requires um, trust, freedom, that, that uh, service and sacrifice is a putting aside of self. That's very helpful, Dr. Winslow. Well, uh, Gerald, thank you so much for taking some of your time today to have this conversation with us. I really appreciate the invitation, uh, Professor Bell. First time that you and I, I think, have ever had a conversation, so uh, I hope this is not the last. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, This is Skip Bell. Until next time, keep thinking and keep believing. Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. Let's get started. My guest today is Dr. Gerald Winslow, professor of religion at Loma Linda University and uh, director for the Center for Christian Bioethics. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Winslow. Now, our focus today is Christian ethics. <laughs> let's, let's first uh, ask 
If you could, uh, Dr. Winslow, simply define the field of ethics and help us see what the issues are on that level with just a, a broad definition in moral decision-making from a Christian perspective. What are the challenges to ethical decision-making that a Christian in a pluralistic society uh, faces? Uh, how, do you, how does a Christian go about trying to sort through those things? And Gerald, before, before you respond, um, I'm going to uh, also, after that, ask you, what that might mean for a more conservative um, Christian body. Most of our listeners uh, to recalculating are part of the Adventist faith community, a very conservative Christian community. But of course, there are listeners who are not part of that journey. And all of us wonder about that challenge to ethical decision-making in a pluralistic society. Gerald? Gerald? 